Today we're going to start on the book of Galatians. This book is one of the most emotionally charged letters of the New Testament. In this letter, it's one of the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know him, he's one of the most influential leaders of the early Christian church. A lot of what we understand about the Christian faith and who Jesus is, is from him. And, um, and he, when he writes this letter to the Galatian churches, Galatia is a region, it's not a city, it's a region, quite a large region actually, and he planted a number of churches in this region. And so this letter that he's sending to them that we're gonna read is, um, would have been read out to these churches in this region. And he's very angry about something. And we know he's angry because of how he starts this letter. See, one of the patterns of the Apostle Paul, when he begins a letter, he will always say something nice about it, the people that he's writing to. Like, hey, I praise God for something that's happening in your midst, right? But in this letter, there is nothing, no commendation, implying that there is nothing good that is happening in your midst. I can't find one thing. It's kind of like, um, you know how we text people, right? And you kind of know when someone's angry at you, right? Like, especially with your significant other, your partner, right? You know when they're not really happy with you. Hey, are you okay? I'm fine. You know they aren't really fine, right? Um, uh, with my wife, I know that she is angry with me when her messages and responses get very short, right? The shorter, the worse, right? How are you going? I'm okay. Okay. Or even worse, K. <laughs> K. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I'm in trouble. Or even the worst thing that I admit, I've never gotten to this stage before, but I've heard from my fellow brothers that this is the worst thing you can encounter is K dot, K dot, hey honey, I'm sorry, I'm coming home late from work today, K dot. Oh man, that is the worst thing. Why even bother going home, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, this, this letter, right, is the K dot of the New Testament, right? Paul is absolutely furious. He's angry. He's upset with the Galatian church. And it's because of one thing. He's upset about one thing. They're turning to a different gospel. Right? And the single issue that, we, that he's addressing in this letter is what is the gospel? What really is the gospel? And um, so, and, and to understand why this is such a big deal, and this, it was a big deal back then in the first century church, and it's a huge deal for us today in the 21st century church, and I'll explain why. But first, you've got to understand what the situation is, is, is like in this church. So if you can go with me, um, or sorry, if you can imagine with me, do a mental exercise. Imagine what the first century church would look like. What picture comes into your mind? If you were to imagine the first century church, however, whatever picture comes to mind, what is that picture? For some reason, when I imagine the first century church, I imagine a group of Caucasian people sitting around a small house, sharing a meal together, right? And they're Caucasian because I imagine them to be European for some reason, right? That's the image I have in my head. But actually, the more accurate image I should have in my head of the first century church is a group of Jews, Jews, right, meeting in a synagogue or in the temple or maybe in a small house, 
right? Around the Hebrew scriptures, maybe sharing a meal together, a kosher meal together, okay? That would have been a more accurate picture of the first century church. And the reason why I bring that up is because oftentimes I, and I think we, forget how Jewish the church was when it first started and how Jewish the gospel is. I mean, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, right? And the reason why that's so important is because the, the Jewish-Gentile divide, the Jewish-Gentile tension is key, is at the root of what it means to, um, of, of what's going on here. At this stage of the church's development, they are wrestling with their identity. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And how does the gospel affect that? You know, when I was growing up, I had, a, I had an identity crisis of sorts. And I'm sure that many children that grow up in, I experienced this, who grow up in a home, in a family that has a different culture than the culture that they will go to school in, or the, or the world around them. See, I am ethnically Chinese, right? I look Chinese, hopefully, right? I look Chinese. But I behave, I talk like, I think like an Australian. And this was a source of great confusion and great perplexity to my extended family in Malaysia, right? Especially because I cannot speak any other language other than English, right? And this was a huge, of huge confusion to them. Because they're like, you are Chinese, yet you cannot speak Chinese. I don't understand. They would call me things like, you're banana. You know, you're yelling outside, white on the inside, you know? Because in Malaysia, right, you have to speak like four different languages when you're growing up, right? You do primary school in Malay, you do high school in Mandarin, then you watch English movies, and then you, at home you probably got a different dialect, right? Four different languages when you're growing up. But me, one. Master of one, right? Um, so but, but, you know, this was a source of great complexity, and, and I would grow up, I was growing up thinking, well, am I Australian or am I Chinese? What am I? Well, the truth is I am both, right? And this is kind of what's happening for the early Christian church. What did it mean to be a Christian? What did it mean to be a Jew and a Christian? What did it mean to be a Gentile, a non-Jew and a Christian? Did it mean if I was a Christian and a Jew, did I have to give up my Jewishness? Or could I be a Christian and a Jew? Could I be both? What about a Gentile, right? Uh, A Gentile, did they have to stop being a Gentile? Did they have to become a Jew? Or could they just be a Gentile and a Christian? See, at its core, This is what the church is wrestling with at this stage, their identity. What did it mean to be a Christian? That's what they're wrestling with. And how does the gospel affect that? Okay? What did it mean to be a Christian? And how does the gospel affect that? And so in the midst of this complexity, in the midst of this complexity, as the church is wrestling with that identity, you've got a group of Jewish Christians, right? That are saying that you know what, to be a Christian, right, you've got to be a Jew as well. So what they're essentially saying is you've got to have Christ and plus the Jewish law. So for Gentile Christians, which um, the, book of Gal- uh, the, the, the Galatian churches are probably made out of, they're probably made out of predominantly Gentile Christians, these Jewish Christians are coming and saying, you know what, you've got to, to be a real Christian, to be really right with God, right, to be really justified, right? You've got to have Christ, yes, Christ is good. And you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow the kosher laws, you've got to be, you've got to essentially be a Jew. 
And in this, to this, the Apostle Paul is extremely upset because the Galatian church is turning to this other gospel and he is absolutely furious. So let's read how the Apostle Paul responds to this controversy in Galatians chapter one, verse one to 10. Um, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, in your devices, or if you have a physical copy of a Bible, please turn there with me. Galatians chapter one, verse one to 10. I don't have the verses up, I'm sorry. But if you don't have a Bible, just nudge your neighbor, I'm sure they will have one. Now we're willing to share with you, okay? Okay, Galatians chapter one, verse one to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Come, let's pray together as we begin. Lord, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of you? No, if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. May what I say, what I preach, not be for the approval of the people out here, but maybe for your approval, that you would be pleased with what I have to say, because may it be faithful to your word. And Lord, I pray that as uh, your church, may we be edified, may we hear your truth, and may the truth set us free. And Lord, I pray may the gospel of Jesus Christ become more beautiful than whatever gospel we have heard or believed. Lord, I pray, oh God, purify your church, edify it that it may be a pure, perfect bride before you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this opening letter, in this opening few verses, Paul introduces several of the themes that we're going to see as we explore this book, as we explore this letter, right? And he's laying out here three things about the gospel. Three things you've got to know about the gospel. One, it is by Christ alone. By Christ alone. Not by man, not by human beings, but by Christ. So what's interesting about this letter is that you're gonna see in the next few sermons that he's gonna defend his authority as an apostle. And it might seem really confusing. Why is he spending so much time defending himself as an apostle, right? And that's why he begins, and and, and I'm gonna explain why, but because he begins in verse one, right? Saying, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The word apostle means messenger or one sent on a mission. Now, if you're a messenger, the validity or the credibility of your message depends on who sent you, right? Who's the source of your message, right? That gives credence to and, and, and authority 
to your message. And so what was happening here is that these group of Jewish Christians, let's call them Judaizers, right? Judaizers were probably, possibly claiming that, hey, Paul, he's just, uh, he was sent by the Jerusalem apostles. You know the big guys, the big guns. Peter, who was very close to Jesus, and James, the brother of Jesus. You can't get any more close to Jesus than that, right? He's sent by them. Right? He's just an apostle of the Jerusalem church, of the Jerusalem apostles. And what Paul has done to you Galatians is given you step one. He's given you gospel 101, Christianity 101. But we, we've got the true gospel. We're giving you Christianity 102. It's what he missed out. It's, he, it's what he's trimmed away, right? And we're giving you the full gospel, all right? And that's why Paul is so adamant. Right out of the gate, he's saying, no. I'm not sent by anyone. No man, no council, no church. I was sent by one person. His name is Jesus Christ. My gospel that I'm giving to you, that I gave to you, Galatia, is directly from Jesus Christ. Why is this a big deal? Why is this, how is this relevant to us? Well, you see, we naturally have a tendency, whether subconsciously or intentionally, to shape the gospel to bend it, to twist it, to form it into a form that we are more comfortable with. That's easier to swallow. It's easier, perhaps, even to understand. And that's what the Judaizers were doing, actually. They were shaping the gospel message into something that made more sense and that they were more comfortable with. Because remember, right, this is a, at this stage, the church is predominantly, is, is a, a lot of them are Jews. A lot of them are Jews, right? And so it's, Far easier for, um, for, the, for the church at this point to just say, you know what, Gentiles, you just got to become Jews. Because you know what, to become a Gentile, to, to become a Jew if you are a Gentile, right, in Judaism, you would need to be baptized into Judaism. You would need to essentially become a Jew. And so at this point, if the Christians are seen as a, almost an offshoot of Christianity at this point, uh, an offshoot of Judaism, then it just makes more sense. It's just easier. It ruffles less feathers if Gentiles just become Jews. That's what we've always been done, right, when we were Jews, right? So let's just do it now as Christians, right? It's just easier. It's more comfortable with. But this is not the gospel. This is not what it means to be a Christian. Do we do anything like that? Well, I'm not sure if we do exactly that. But what I've noticed and what I've observed is that in our corner of Christianity, in our corner of the world, we maybe have a tendency to elevate good things to the place of the foundation of our faith. And sometimes what I notice is that we confuse what is sanctification and make it justification. Okay, big words. <laughs> but all I mean is that we make what is meant to be the result of our faith and make it the source of our faith. I'll explain. Um, you know, it, when we have baptism, when we're preparing people for baptism, there's a part after the, they go through a baptism class, we'll have a conversation with them. A leader will have a conversation with them. And they'll ask them a few questions. And one of the questions that we'll ask them is, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? And it's very interesting, the, number of the kind of responses that we get. A typical response will be that they will tell us a time when they had this tremendous supernatural encounter with God. Or they'll point to a time when 
um, God healed them or healed a family member or came through for them in a certain way. And I don't want to downplay that. That's extremely valuable. That's amazing. And such an encouragement to our faith, right? When these things happen. But that's not why we are Christian. You are not right with God when you have an, only when you have an encounter with Him. The reason why you are a Christian is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what happens if you don't have an encounter with Him? What happens if He seems silent to you? Does that mean He's not happy with you? Does that mean that something's wrong with your faith? Have you stopped being a Christian? Is He, are you, are you a substandard Christian if you don't have encounters with God? Sometimes we elevate, I notice, sometimes we elevate a good thing, like an encounter, like a supernatural experience with God, to the place where the cross should be. The reason and only reason you are a Christian, how do you know you are saved? By the cross of Jesus Christ alone. That's the only reason. So, if you're ever asked, how do you know you're saved? By the cross of Jesus Christ alone. You know, um, I was a vibe pastor for many years, and you know, I noticed the number of people who made ministry, who made leadership their Christian identity. If they were to ask, if you'd ask, how, how do you know you're saved? They'd go, oh, Jesus Christ, obviously. But deep down, they would, the ministry and how well they were doing in ministry and, uh, and, and leadership um, determined how they saw their faith. If I was a good leader today, oh, then God is very pleased with me. I'm good with God now. But if I was struggling in my faith, or if I was not a good leader today, or if I was not serving in church, if I stopped serving in church for whatever reason, oh, God's not that pleased with me. Oh, I feel that we're really distant. So I'm really distant from God. God's not really, something's not clicking. And you know, the sad thing is that for some people, I noticed that when they stop being a leader, when their season of leadership is over, they stop coming to church. It's almost like their entire faith system has crumbled. Why is that? What was your faith based on in the first place? Was it based on your service in church? Was it based on your position in a ministry? Was it based on how many people you were mentoring and discipling? Or was it based on one thing, the fact that Jesus Christ has saved you, has died for you, And it's only by the cross of Jesus Christ that you can be right and pleasing before God. Sometimes we have a tendency to elevate something that is good, something that's really good, like serving in church, and make it the reason why we are pleasing before God. You know, another thing I notice is that, especially in our corner of Christianity, is that um, we have a tendency to to project an image that we're okay, that we've got it all together, that our life is good, is stable, right? That how, how are you going? I'm good. I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good, right? And that, that's great if everything's good. But, why? but maybe you are a believer and your life is not good. Life is not fine. Things are not going well. Or maybe you are struggling with anxiety and you're struggling with these things, right? And your life is not great, you don't have life altogether, and you're looking at the brothers and sisters around you, and you're going, man, these guys, they seem to have it all together. 
right? They are stable. They're really mature. Something's wrong with me. Am I even a Christian? Is God even pleased with me? And to you, I want to assure you, I want to encourage you that God looks at you pleasingly, adoringly, only because of one thing, not because you have life altogether, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that God is okay with you not being all together. It doesn't mean that God's gonna leave you like that. Absolutely not. Because the results of the gospel, when the gospel gets hold of your life, when he gets a hold of your life and the Holy Spirit transforms you, oh, he brings healing and wholeness to every part of your life if you let him. If you let him. But that is not the reason. That is not the basis. That is not the foundation of your faith. The reason why God is pleased with you and he looks on you lovingly and the reason why you can come before his throne of grace with confidence is not because you did devotions this morning. It's not because you don't struggle with depression or anxiety. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so you can point to that and go, it's because of Jesus and what he has done for me. That's why I'm pleasing before you. And that's why I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing I can find healing, restoration, and mercy and grace in my time of need. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He has done for me. It is not by what we do, it's by what Jesus has done. So let's not, let's be very careful, I think. Let's be very careful that we don't subconsciously, unintentionally elevate, elevate these very good things to the place of the cross of Jesus Christ, that it replaces it. The gospel is not by man, it's by Christ. The second thing is the gospel is for Christ alone. Not for man, not for humans, but for Christ alone. As I mentioned before, it would have been far more comfortable for the Apostle Paul if he didn't wanna ruffle any feathers, if he just wanted to avoid conflict. You know, let's just have peace and harmony amongst us, you know what, let's not argue, right? Let's just come together and just be at peace with one another. He would have just gone, you know what? Yeah, just, just, just become Jews. Just get circumcised, it's fine. You know, as long as you have Jesus Christ, you know, it's okay. It's okay. That's the more comfortable. That's the path of least resistance. But the Apostle Paul is not concerned about what is more comfortable. He's concerned about what is true. That's why he says in verse 10, am I now trying to win the human, approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wasn't concerned about what was simple, simpler to understand or more acceptable for people to hear. You see, it's gonna be difficult to be a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we are also concerned about what people think of us. Because the tendency and the lure will be for us to dial back the gospel, to trim down the sharp edges of the gospel. Because you see, the gospel, the true gospel, will both lift you up and cut you down. It will both be so encouraging, it will be the greatest news you've ever heard, but it will also cut at the deepest parts of you. Beware of any gospel that only lifts you up without confronting your deepest sins. You know, um, I love Tim Keller's take on this um, because, you know, in a recent interview, he commented that the gospel, that the message of today's culture 
is, and I can resonate with this, is one where it's all about your life is about, your mission in life is about discovering your true identity, who you really are. And the way, and the, the, the way you find your true identity is look within you, search within you. you know, through a process of introspection and self-discovery, you can discover who you were really meant to be, your true identity. And when you discover that, whatever it is, you be true to that. You do whatever it takes to be true to that true you, that true identity that you've discovered. And if anyone tells you otherwise, you shut them up. You cancel them out. You tell them, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I know who I am, right? So I'm gonna do me, right? I'm gonna be who I am. That's the gospel. That's the message of today's culture. And so one approach that Christians may take and have taken is to, in an effort, I believe, in a, in a good effort to, to try to reach out and be relevant to this culture, is actually they've tried to lean into this message and go, you know what? God wants, God wants to, to, to unlock the true you. God's all about that. Your dreams, your visions, God will help you unlock that. God will help you discover your true self. And you know what? You're not that bad. You're not that bad, right? You, you, you're, you're, I mean, your, your sins are bad, but uh, you know what? In Christ, you're, you're, not, you're not really that bad. So, so come to God and He will unlock the true you. Beware of a gospel that only lifts you up without cutting in the deepest parts of you. Because you know what? The gospel confronts this anthem of self-esteem and self-actualization by declaring that our true lives are not found in self-discovery but in self-denial. It is only by dying to yourself that you actually discover what it truly means to live. So it's not actually by looking into yourself that you find who you are. It's actually by dying to yourself and living for God that you discover what life is truly meant to be. And life is not about you. It's not God, about God, about you discovering your visions, your dreams, your calling, about looking to God and working for His dreams, His vision, what He wants to do on this earth. It's not about you. It's taking your eyes off your life and putting it on Him. You know, the gospel of this culture is that you need to achieve your identity. When you discover your identity, you need to work hard at being true to it. Only in Christianity will God, will you receive your identity by Christ, in Christ. Will He give you identity? You don't need to work for it. You don't need to claim it. You don't need to hold on to it. He gives it to you. That's the gospel, but it only comes when you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Him. The true gospel will confront us and beware of any gospel that only lifts you up without confronting your sin. So I've spoken a lot about what the gospel is not. But what is the gospel actually? Right? And some of you might be thinking in your head or in your hearts that, you know what, Amos, you are a stickler for the rules. You're being very academic. You're being very technical right now. Okay, you're being too strict, way too strict. You gotta relax, you gotta chill out a bit. Right? As long as people believe in Jesus, Right? That's enough. That's enough. Why make this a big deal? 
right? Let me post you a scenario. Okay, let's just say you go to Boost Juice and you order an orange juice, right? None of this mango immunizing, busting, blaster stuff, you know, just straight up orange juice, right? And you get handed a, imagine you get handed an orange and pumpkin juice, okay? Now, barring the fact that that's gonna be a probably disgusting concoction, right? Um, unless I'm missing something. Um, but barring the fact that it's probably gonna be disgusting, how would you react? Would you be satisfied with your order? My guess is that you'd probably complain, right? And you'd go, hey, this is not what I ordered, right? Now, the server could just as well turn to you and go, hey, I don't understand. Um, I actually gave you orange juice. It's in there. I gave you orange juice. The orange juice is in there. I just chucked some other stuff as well. In fact, you're welcome. I give you something a bit extra. But, uh, free of charge, on the house, right? You should be paying me, but it's all good, right? Now, would you be happy with their response? Would you be happy with that response? Of course not, because that's not how it works, right? The moment you add anything to the orange juice that isn't orange juice, it ceases to be orange juice. Yeah? Is that too complica complicated? <laughs> of course not, because we understand that. The moment you add anything to the gospel, it ceases to be the true gospel. It is no gospel at all. And that's what the, the Galatian church was turning to. That's what the Judaizers were teaching. That you know what? Paul, he gave you gospel 101. He gave you a trimmed down, diluted gospel. We're giving you the true gospel. But the gospel was no gospel at all. It was Jesus Christ plus law. You gotta believe in Jesus plus you gotta do all this stuff. You gotta be circumcised. You gotta obey the Jewish laws and all the customs and all that stuff. But this was no gospel at all. And so even if you, me, Pastor Benny, even if an angel should materialize before your very eyes in blazing white, take the headset off me and go, Moss, I've got it from here, and preach to you a different gospel than the one that we received in scriptures, you should exercise that demon and send it straight back to hell. That is what he's saying here in verse eight to nine. If even if an angel should preach to you a different gospel than the one that you have received from me, let him be anathema. Let that be damned to hell. Be damned to hell. Not because we hate them. Not because, I'm not being crude here. That's literally what it means. Why? Because that's where no gospel leads you to destruction, to separation from God, to hell. So is this serious? Oh, absolutely. Our eternal lives depend on it. That's why the Apostle Paul is so up in arms. That's why he's so furious. That's why he's, being so, he's preaching this so strongly because they need to know what the gospel really is. What does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean that you add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment you add anything to the cross, it ceases from being the true gospel. You know, one of the uh, very popular, very prevalent ones, examples, is the prosperity gospel. I'm sure many of us are familiar with that. The gospel of health, wealth, and success. And the reason why this gospel is no gospel at all 
It's not because it's lying to you. It's not beca- just because this gospel is all about, you know what, when you come to Christ, he's gonna give you a new car, he's gonna give you a, a, a better job, he's gonna you know, give you a bigger house, right? It's not just because it's a lie, it's because it takes your eyes off the cross of Jesus Christ and places it on you. The gospel of health, wealth, and success, and any other gospel that makes it about you. I would even say that the gospel of self-esteem, that God is all about your happiness, is you plus Christ. And that is no gospel at all. And if you notice, if you notice that even subconsciously that you're believing any form of this gospel, if, that you're, if you're adding, a, if the faint lines of a plus sign are beginning to form next to the cross of Jesus Christ, let's repent. Let's turn back to the true gospel. So what is the true gospel? Well, I think we, um, that's what the series is all about. That's what this letter is all about, is unpacking what the true gospel is. But we get a glimpse of it. We get a simple statement and a good starting point, I believe, is in verse three to five. And actually, what I want to do is I just want to end with a, just a very brief meditation on what the gospel is in verse three to five. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. This is not just an obligatory, polite greeting to start his letter. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Grace, grace, this gospel, faith in Christ is not because of what you did, it's because of what Christ has done for you. It's only by grace you have been saved through faith. You can't do anything. It's only by grace of God that you, are, you have faith to believe in Him, that you are saved. Grace and peace. If grace is the cause of salvation, of justification, then peace is the result. It's the gospel of peace. Not only are we made right with God, our creator, not only can we come before him and know that we are pleasing before him, but he also, what the gospel does, if we let it, is it mends and brings peace to our relationships with one another. Because what the gospel does, if we let it, by the power of the spirit, it transforms us and removes all the things that causes quarrels, conflicts, wars, strifes, and brings peace and harmony and wholeness to our relationships with one another. It's the gospel of peace, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. God, our Father. He is our Father, meaning that we are His sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of the Most High King. If we actually just meditate on that, if we just let that sink in, man, that's your identity. You are son, you're not a servant. Not just a servant. You are son and daughter of the Most High King. And He has redeemed you to your rightful place as kings and queens to rule with the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is your rightful place. And 
Today, He is training us how to rule. He's training us by the power of the Spirit to how to rule and be kings and queens in His kingdom. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel brings freedom. Freedom, but not just to do what we want, but freedom to submit to our King and our Lord and our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel is about making us and allowing us to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins and to rescue us from the present evil age. Gospel tells us that we are saved. We are saved. From what? From what? Some of you, you've had, you've gone through some stuff in your life and you know that what, you know firsthand that God has saved you from something. God has saved you from a life of self-destruction, of, of conflict, that He's mended your relationship with your family. He has literally saved you from something, from a life that is not worth living. But for many of us, we, we, mis- we, we, don't, we don't feel that at all. But the truth is that we have been saved. We've been saved from what? From this present evil age, from a way of life that ultimately leads to destruction and death, that leads to hurt and pain. But it's so interesting that He saves us, not by taking us out of the world, but by putting Himself in. He saves us, not by taking us out of the world, but He puts Himself in the world, in you, in us. And therefore, we are saved from this present evil age, not because we are absent from the world, but because He is present with us. His presence with us by the power of the Holy Spirit that is here with us now. The danger, I know I'm over time, the danger is that the gospel doesn't mean anything to us. That it's just words on a page. That the description that I just gave of grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who saved us from this present evil age, means nothing to us. That it, that it's just words that we have heard before. And you know what, Pastor, I got that. Let me hear something that I've never heard before. Instead of hearing something you've never heard before, how about you believe and are convicted by the one thing that matters? The gospel, the reason why you are saved, the reason why you are justified before God. And if this one thing convicts you, grabs hold of your life, and is allowed to seep into every part of your life, would it transform you? Would it set you free? Would it change every part of your life and your relationships? Absolutely. You know, the reason why I reckon the church has lost its edge is because the gospel that we believe has lost its edge. Therefore, what do we do, church? What do we do? Do we try to make the gospel, do we try to gloss it up? Do we try to go, wow, the gospel, let's just try to, beautify it up a bit. Let's just try to say it in a different way. How about, how about we meditate on what the gospel really is and let that sink in. Let its truth sink in deep. Because maybe the problem is that we haven't really believed the gospel. 
Maybe we really haven't been convicted by its truth and its reality and its implications for our lives because if we really were, we would go before God in humility and go, God, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to be called a son and daughter of the Most High God. I don't deserve to rule with you. But only by the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for justifying me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm pleasing before you. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna respond with this song. And, um, and so let, us, let me pray for you that as we respond to this, that the gospel would sink in. Lord, in this day and age where we have heard maybe the message of Jesus Christ being preached so often that has become so familiar to us. Oh Lord, I pray that familiarity will not breed contempt. Lord, I pray, oh God, that the gospel, the truth of what you have done for us would sink in deep into our minds and our spirits and into our hearts and they'll grab hold of us like never before. And the Lord, I pray, oh God, that we would hear it, that we would see it, that we would experience it, that we would see the Savior and what you've done for us in all its glory, beauty, and majesty. And may we bow our knees to you in reverence and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. City Campus, you can take over from here. You know, um, before I get us to stand and sing this song, I want to give an opportunity for those of you who have never heard this gospel before or you've never responded to this gospel. you never responded to this good news. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed in this place, no one looking around, I just want to give you this opportunity. If you want to say, Jesus is my Lord. If you want to say yes, to this good news. I believe this good news. I don't fully understand all its ramifications for my life, but I can get a glimpse of it. And you know what? I want that. I believe that. If that's you, lift up your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Lift up your hand, nice and high. And I would love to pray with you. If that is you, can you just say this prayer with me? Okay, just follow along with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by your grace. And Lord, today I call you my Lord and Master. Today I believe that you are my Savior and my Lord who has died for me and paid the price for my sins. And today, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you, if you made that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, I would love to chat with you. I'm just gonna be up the front here for a few moments after service and I would love to have a chat with you, truly, truly. Well, the rest of us, can we stand to our feet and let us sing the song in response that is only 
by Christ alone, for Christ alone, Christ alone.